Welcome to Tax Time, our monthly podcast covering the main tax developments in Ireland. My name is David Moore, Tax Associate Director with Grant Thornton. Today we'll be discussing the latest in tax, including cessation of the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, a new self-review check for the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, updated guidance on the Special Assignee Relief Programme and losses incurred by non-resident corporate landlords, public consultation on Pillar 2 and much more. The Minister for Finance, Pascal Dunahu TD, announced on the 31st of May that the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme ceased for all businesses effective from this date. A wage subsidy scheme has been in place for over two years, commencing at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in March 2020. The Temporary Wage Subsidy Scheme and the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme have been a key part of the government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and played a vital role in maintaining the important link between employers and employees. As part of Budget 2022, the government set out future direction of EWSS, including its graduated exit strategy. These arrangements were subsequently enhanced on a number of occasions in response to prevailing public health restrictions. For most businesses, the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme ceased on the 30th of April 2022, while those businesses that were directly impacted by the public health restrictions of late December 2021 saw a one-month deferral in the step-down arrangements. As such, for the latter cohort of businesses, mainly in the hospitality sector, the scheme ended on the 31st of May. Announcing the cessation of the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, Minister Donoghue stated, Today marks the end of the very successful Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, over two years after a wage subsidy scheme, the Temporary Wage Subsidy Scheme, was first introduced in March 2020. The wage subsidy schemes played a crucial role in preserving employment and incomes and supporting businesses at a very challenging time during the pandemic. The success of the scheme is clearly evident by the employment supported, as well as how quickly our economy adapted and recovered following the lifting of public health restrictions. I signalled the end of the EWSS many months ago to give businesses sufficient time to plan and adapt as necessary, and I expect that many businesses have seen a resumption in their levels of trade. To give further support and clarity, I also recently announced an extension to 9% VAT rate for the tourism and hospitality industry for a further six months. On the 10th of June 2022, revenue issued in eBrief provided that the tax and duty manual with respect to the Special Assignee Relief Programme has been updated. Revenue have noted that the manual has been updated to reflect the following. Guidance on eligibility of an assignee to avail of the relief where he or she spends time in Ireland in a six-month period prior to arrival. Guidance on the requirement that an assignee spend at least 12 consecutive months working in Ireland after their arrival in order to avail of the relief. Guidance has been updated to reflect that relief cannot be claimed on employment income that qualifies for double tax relief in Ireland, and guidance on administrative requirements. Finance Act 2021 introduced changes to taxation of non-resident corporate landlords, which results in such landlords being subject to corporation tax at a rate of 25%, rather than being subject to income tax at a rate of 20%. This is effective for Irish rental income earned by the non-resident corporate landlord from the 1st of January 2022. On the 25th of March, Revenue released an e-brief updating their tax and duty manual to provide guidance on this new tax regime. In addition to this, Revenue released another e-brief on the 3rd of June updating their tax and duty manual with respect to additional guidance surrounding losses and transactions where the income is subject to Case 4 or Case 5 on non-resident corporate landlords. The Revenue Commissioner is undertaking a final assurance programme with respect to the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, in which Revenue will, will issue letters to employers who have availed of the relief to complete a final self-review. Revenue have created and published a self-review assessment tool on the Revenue website, which will help taxpayers undertake a review of their eligibility for the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme. Revenue have noted that the tool will calculate if you are eligible or not based on information you input. 
the tool will show if your business suffered a 30% reduction in turnover or customer orders compared to 2019 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Revenue have also provided instructions as to how taxpayers can use this tool. In the event that employers overclaim DWS says, revenue provided that the employer has until the 30th of September 2022 to correct their payroll record and repay any relevant subsidy and PRSI credit amounts in line with page 30 of the main employment wage subsidy scheme guidance published on the revenues website. Revenue have also noted that any employers availing of the debt warehousing scheme can warehouse any amounts overclaimed, so long as these amounts are declared to revenue by the 30th of September 2022. Employers who are satisfied that all their EWSS claims were valid and correct do not need to take any further action. It is understood that tax agents will receive a cover letter with a list attached detailing which of their clients received the EWSS self-review letter. Minister for Finance Pascal Donoghue launched a public consultation on the 26th of May seeking stakeholder views on the implementation of the Pillar 2 minimum tax rate proposal in Ireland. In October 2021, Ireland signed up to the OECD G20 Inclusive Framework Agreement to reform the international tax framework as it applies to large corporate groups. The agreed two-pillar solution seeks to address tax challenges arising from digitalisation and globalisation. I discussed with my colleague Peter Vale, tax partner with Grant Thornton, on our podcast recorded in February, Pillar 2 provides an introduction of the global minimum effective rate of 15% for certain companies. The Department of Finance have noted in publishing this consultation that, as the Pillar 2 framework will have significant impacts for Ireland across our fiscal, budgetary and industrial policies, the purpose of this public consultation is to seek the views of stakeholders on the transposition of Pillar 2 into Irish law and to consider any challenges in that regard. The consultation period will run from Thursday to 26th of May to Friday to 22nd of July. I'm joined now by my colleagues Jane Quirk, Tax Director, and Michelle Dunn, Tax Associate Director, both from our Employer Solutions team with respect to specialists in the global mobility and employment taxes. Hi, Jen and Michelle. Thank you for joining me today to discuss the tax effects from what working is having on employers and what employers should be considering. Michelle, COVID has shown many Irish businesses that it is possible to operate a hybrid working model, allowing employees work from home for part of the week. Are there any employment tax considerations employers and employees should be aware of? Hi, David. Yes, we've certainly seen a a shift in the way of working through the pandemic and employers have been asking about the allowances and benefits that they can provide to employees who are working from home, either on a full time basis or a part time basis. So it's recognised that many employees working from home may incur additional costs such as light and heat. So revenue do permit an employer to make a payment tax free to an employee amounting to three euro and 20 cent per day. So for an example, if an employee was working from home on a two day per week basis, this payment would equate to nearly 300 euro per annum. Alternatively, and only where the three euro 20 allowance is not being paid by the employer, an employee may make a claim for remote working relief. The amount which can be claimed was increased in the most recent Finance Act. So an employee can claim an allowance which is calculated as follows. It's 30% of electricity, heat and broadband costs. And these costs are apportioned based on the actual home working days. So they can make a claim for this cost through their um, Form 12, which is their annual personal, personal tax filing return. This can be done online through the My Account facility or revenue actually do facilitate a real time tax credit to be claimed through the payroll reporting function as well. So finally, an employer may also provide equipment. So this might be computers, printers, office furniture to the employee 
that equipment should be mainly used for the purposes of work and where this is the case, it won't trigger a charge to benefit in kind. Thanks for that, Michelle. I suppose everyone, when the COVID pandemic kicked in, everyone was trying to um, figure out how they could cover costs and work from home in terms of light, need electricity, and then obviously setting up home offices. Um, so it's it's very good that revenue uh, have allowed those kind of concessions and release available to employees and employers. Jane, some Irish employers are taking the idea of hybrid working model to another level and are hiring individuals in foreign countries, which opens up the talent and skill sets available to them. What are the options for engaging talent in foreign jurisdictions and what are the key tax considerations? Hi, David. Yeah, well, COVID has shown that particularly in some sectors of our economy, people can work from really anywhere in the world. Uh, so this is a huge opportunity for employers to drive their business using global talent. From a tax perspective, there are three key risks. Firstly, the potential obligation to operate foreign payroll withholding tax. Income tax rates are generally much higher than, say, corporate tax rates in foreign countries, so companies who fail to get this right face a significant tax exposure. Secondly, the potential liability to employer social security in a foreign jurisdiction. This can be an area that can be very costly for employers. In Ireland, our employer peers I rate is currently just over 11%, but in some countries it can be up to 45%. And finally, um, the employee could create a corporate tax presence for the company itself in that country, known as a permanent establishment or a PE. And where a PE is triggered, this could lead to a proportion of the profits of the Irish company being subject to corporate tax in that foreign country. And transfer pricing may also need to be considered to allocate the correct portion of profits to the PE. So it's critical that the tax risks are considered from the outset. In terms of the options for engaging talent in foreign jurisdictions, the two scenarios we're seeing at the moment are firstly the situation of Irish employers providing flexibility to their employees and allowing them to work a portion of time abroad. Typically, remote work policies are built on what employers can allow employees to do without triggering a tax risk in a foreign country. And the parameters of that policy are generally informed by the risk appetite of the company. So, for example, here at Grand Thornton, employees can work 10 days per year from abroad before or after a holiday in that particular country. The second scenario we're seeing is Irish employers actually recruiting individuals from overseas and those employees work on a full time basis from abroad and don't come to Ireland. In terms of the options for engage, engaging these type of individuals, there's four key options. Firstly, where an Irish employer is part of a global group of companies that has an entity in that country, they could employ the individual from that local entity. The benefits of this approach are that the company can easily manage its overseas payroll withholding tax obligations via that local entity. However, the challenge is that the employee can still create a PE of the Irish business as the employee is working for the Irish business and not that local entity. So it's not a risk-free approach. The second option is to engage the individual as a contractor, particularly perhaps as a short term solution. The benefits of this is that it may give some level of protection from a payroll withholding tax and social security perspective. However, some countries may look through the contractor arrangement, like say in the UK, and in such cases, the company will be exposed to payroll withholding tax and social security. The third option is to use an employer of record in a foreign country. 
The employer of record becomes the legal employer in that situation and is responsible for managing the payroll withholding tax obligation. So it removes the risk for the company, assuming the employer of record does in fact operate payroll correctly. From a PE perspective, however, most countries will look through this type of arrangement. So it's really only suitable as a short term solution before a company sets up a local entity. And finally, the fourth option for employers who want to remove the tax tax risks altogether, they can set up a local entity. So this ensures compliance with payroll withholding tax and corporate tax filings, but can be costly and creates a lot of additional administration for companies. So in summary, there's a number of key tax considerations for Irish companies who have employees working in foreign countries, but it's also an exciting time from an employment perspective and employers who are prepared to manage those tax risks can embrace a wider pool of talent. Thanks, Jane. There's, there's a lot to consider there, and I know a lot of clients now are approaching this issue more and more in terms of staff wanting to work abroad and obviously then, as you said, higher skill set from abroad. And it's great that there's so many options available to employers to kind of facilitate such arrangements. But um, it definitely seems like a lot of pre-planning should go into ensure that all, all risks are covered. And Jane, how will remote work and impact the various employment tax reliefs, such as special signee relief programme? Um, well, remote working arrangements can have a real impact on the special assignee relief programme known as SARP. So just to give you some background as to what SARP is initially, it was introduced in 2012 to encourage the relocation or short term assignment of key employees into Ireland. Where certain conditions are satisfied, 30% of taxable income over €75,000 will be disregarded for income tax purposes. So it's a very valuable relief. There's a number of conditions attaching to this relief that employers really need to review now in light of remote working arrangements. One of the key conditions to avail of the relief is that an individual must, in the six-month period prior to arriving in Ireland, be a full-time employee of a foreign employer. With remote working, we've seen situations where employees actually start doing work remotely for the Irish company before arriving into Ireland. Earlier this month, Revenue released updated guidance on SARP and clarified that in these situations, SARP will not apply. However, they have said that up to five working days may be performed for the Irish company before coming to Ireland, but only in very limited circumstances where an individual is prevented from coming to Ireland due to unforeseen circumstances, um, for example, delays with the issue of an employment permit. Another of the key conditions to avail of SARP is that an individual must, in the six month period before coming to Ireland, actually work for the foreign employer outside of Ireland. And with remote working, we found situations where individuals worked remotely in Ireland for short periods for their foreign employer. And then the question becomes whether the time spent working remotely in Ireland disqualifies them from the relief. Um, so revenue clarified that these individuals can qualify for the relief, but only where they do not exceed five working days in total in the six month period. And one final example of the impact of remote working in SARP is one of the other conditions to avail of the relief is that an individual must perform the duties of employment in Ireland for 12 consecutive months from the date of arrival into Ireland. Revenue provided an example in the, re in the recent guidance um, where an employee spends one month outside of Ireland between a couple of weeks on a holiday, followed by remotely working in the person's home country. And Revenue's view is that because the individual is outside of Ireland for a one month period, 
that this the individual becomes ineligible for SARP. So it's very important that employers carefully review and monitor these remote working arrangements to ensure that employees continue to qualify for SARP. Thanks, Jane. I suppose it just goes to show that whilst remote and hybrid working is great and it can offer so much more um, in terms of uh, attracting key talent and staff that it has to be managed very carefully to ensure that certain reliefs and obligations are met, um, particularly for reliefs such as available as SARP. Michelle, there are changes coming down the track with respect to the way employers calculate benefit and kind and employer provided motor vehicles. What are we likely to see from these changes? Yeah, there's quite a significant change coming down the track, David. Um, so with effect from the 1st of January 2023, we're seeing the taxing regime for company vehicles changing. So benefit and kind on company cars will, from the 1st of January 2023, be linked to CO2 emissions. So the higher the emissions from a car, the higher the benefit and kind charge and vice versa. So these changes will apply to all cars. So that's going to include diesel, petric, uh, petrol and electric. And the rate of benefit in kind will be dependent not only upon the CO2 emissions of the car, but also on the amount of business tra tra mileage travelled in a year. So with respect to electric vehicles, we have a current regime whereby an electric vehicle, which has an open market value of €50,000 or less, is currently not subject to benefit in kind. So this uh, relief will be phased out through a tapering system over the next three years. So where um, the open market value of the electric vehicle will be reduced by a specified amount over these three years, the benefit and kind will be charged on the remaining balance. So you'll have the open market value of the vehicle, less a specified amount, and it will be the balance that will be subject to the benefit and kind rate. So from the year 2026 onwards, this tapering relief um, will cease to exist. So just to give you an example, um, if an employee currently drives an electric vehicle and the value of that vehicle is 50,000 euro, they're currently not paying any benefit in kind on that vehicle. But from the 1st of January 2023, they will start to um, see a benefit in kind charge. And this could be up to 3,400 euro per annum. Um, this is the benefit in kind amount and then tax USC and PRSI, PRSI will apply to that amount. With respect to vans, we'll also see a change in the benefit in kind rate. Currently, the rate of benefit in kind for vans is 5% and we'll see that increase to 8% with effect from the 1st of January 2023. So what should employers be doing to prepare for this? We would certainly encourage employers to start to review their fleet of vehicles, look at the current rate of benefit and kind being applied to those vehicles, see how the new regime will impact on the rate of benefit and kind that needs to be applied, because some employees may see an increase or may see a decrease in the amount of benefit and kind being processed through the payroll. And we'd encourage then a communication exercise by the employers to the employees to communicate the um, financial impact on them come January 2023 and when these new provisions are implemented. 
It's very interesting, Michelle, and it seems like very large changes coming coming down the line. Um, you know, a lot of clients are bringing this issue up, who have, particularly who have large fleets for for salespersons and and persons who travel um across the country. So it could be a very high um tax charge going to their payroll slips next 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 year. So I think it is very important that employers engage early and, as you said, have those conversation employees to note that BIK could go up or down and just just be prepared. Michelle, I spoke with our colleagues Una Ryan and Amory Costello in March about the growing number of deals in Ireland. What should employers be doing to ensure they are prepared for any potential deal from an employment tax perspective and what to, to expect as part of the deal process? Yes, I, I suppose as part of any sales process, you'll have a tax due diligence review um, and this due diligence review will incorporate employment taxes and a review of the employment taxes um, for the, the selling company. So typically the review period will span anywhere between um, two and four years. So we'll be looking at the employment taxes for that period over the, the prior two or four year period. So where a company is being positioned for sale, we would certainly encourage the company to undertake a self-review of their employment tax position and assess whether any corrective action may be required and to implement that corrective action. So the employment tax due diligence analysis will focus on a couple of key areas. So it's not just the payroll reporting submissions and the payments being made to revenue. It will also focus on all types of benefits being provided to employees and a review will be undertaken to see whether the implementation of those benefits is in line with legislation and revenue guidance. The due diligence will also focus on the payment of expenses and the reimbursement of travel and subsistence to employees. And it will also focus on any contractor arrangements in place and whether they could be viewed as disguised employments. So by way of an example, three common areas we see arising when conducting employment tax due diligence reports would include the incorrect um, application of benefit and kind rates, so, for example, we often see a van benefit and kind rate being applied to what is in fact a car. We may see personal subscriptions or memberships being paid for by the company, for example, gym or golf memberships. And thirdly, we see the incorrect application of travel and subsistence expenses reimbursement rules. So a company could be reimbursing an employee um, for travel and subsistence, but the, it may not be in line with the revenue guidance. Um, that is an issue. So finally, it's important to bear in mind that any employment tax exposure could be significant. Employment taxes, when you take into account income tax, USC and PRSI, could equate to up to 63%. So this is 63% of the benefit or any payment being made to the employee could potentially drive a significant exposure for the sale company. Thanks, Michelle. And I know, as, as we discussed earlier, that there's a lot of deals and the number of deals is growing year on year. Um, and employment taxes is a very key part from a tax insurance perspective. And I think you're you're right when you're saying that a, a self-review in advance of any sales process is, is, is very valuable and can identify any potential issues that can be corrected before a deal um, to ensure that no, nothing stops the deal from progressing. Um, Jane, given the current economic backdrop, some employers are being faced with the prospect of restructuring their workforce. What are the key considerations for employers who are faced with this difficult issue? Over the past six months, we've started to see some employers offering severance packages to their employees as part of a decision to restructure workforces. 
It's a difficult area and it's very important that an employer gets advice from the outset to ensure it meets its tax, legal and HR obligations, as the impact of getting this wrong can be very significant from both a financial and reputational perspective. Employers need to consider both the employees who are departing as well as those left behind. Communication is critical and we have found that a successful process generally involves the provision of employee supports. So a lot of the work we do in this space involves supporting HR teams and providing group presentations and one-to-one -one briefings with employees to explain what the severance package means from a tax, financial and pension perspective to promote employee buy-in. From a tax perspective, it's important to identify the various components of the severance package, like statutory redundancy, ex gratia, pay of notice and other benefits, and determine what is taxable and what can be paid tax-free, and then ensuring that all of the various components are correctly processed through payroll. For example, a certain proportion of an ex gratia payment can be paid tax-free to employees, and tax calculations have to be prepared to calculate the maximum tax-free payment for each employee, taking into account employee earnings, years of service, breaks in service, and future tax-free pension lump sums. It's important that signed documents are obtained from employees to support these calculations, particularly in relation to pension choices and previous tax repayments that can impact these calculations. This is a key area of focus during revenue audits as companies often get these calculations wrong. So in summary, there's a lot involved with this process for HR, finance, tax and payroll teams, and it's therefore critical that the process is managed effectively. Thanks, Jane. A lot of food for thought there, um, and it probably comes back to the point earlier that um, pre-planning and getting your ducks in a row before proceeding with any restructuring is vitally important, not only from a tax but also from a legal and HR perspective. Um, and it's very important, I suppose, to identify what's part of the termination package and the, the tax-free amount that may be payable under, under legislation, so that that's very important to employers. Thanks, Jane and Michelle, for your considerations on Irish employment taxes in the context of remote and global working and other issues employers should be aware of. That is it for today. Tune into our Tax Time podcast next month, where we'll be discussing the latest tax issues that may affect your business. If you need more in the meantime, visit our website where you'll find many fact sheets and insights into the topics we discussed today. Thanks for listening.